We had silver as some form of money. It was used by every major empire for the last 4,000 years, almost continuously, until just the last 50 years, which is incredible. They now have to keep printing or we crash. We've got this ticking time bomb. Talking gold with the one and only Andrew McGuire. Welcome to Live from the Vault. All right. Hi there. My name is Shane Moran, and I'll be your host for this week's episode of Live from the Vault. And welcome to the show that goes beyond the headlines and uncovers the truth about the precious metals industry and the effects on our global economy in these historic times. With exclusive access to experts and insiders, we reveal information and insights that you simply won't find anywhere else. Now, this week, we have the one and only Andrew McGuire, precious metals expert and whistleblower in the vault. And to help him pull back the curtain, we'll be joined by a first-time guest in the vault and by popular demand, of course, by you, our Life from Vault community, Peter Krauth. Uh, he's the author of The Great Silver Bull. You're going to love this conversation. Uh, that's right, Peter Krauth is in the vault and you're not going to want to miss this conversation. So just before we introduce you to our special guest and we head over to the UK, please help keep spreading the word about this channel by hitting that like button right there and, and share this information out. And also, if you haven't already done so, just subscribe. It really helps out the channel. And if you click on that bell, we will notify you in real time as each episode goes live. So with that, let me tell you a little about Peter Krauth, he is the author of The Great Silver Bull, and he's also a newsletter editor of The Silver Stock Investor. And Peter is based in Canada. And with that, let's head over to the UK and talking gold with the one and only Andrew McGuire and our special guest, Peter Croft. Over to you, Andy. Thanks, Shane. Welcome, Peter. It is so nice to um, have what we consider to be a, a silver specialist join us today. Um, we have a huge silver following here, and um, I know that um, you're a welcome guest. So thank you for joining us today. Well, it's my pleasure, uh, Andy. I'm, I'm glad to be here with you, and, uh, and, and I'm certainly looking forward to our conversation. You betcha. And, and in fact, I, I'm obviously we're going to get to silver pretty quick. But you know what? The, the, as you say, a gift that keeps on giving. Look, basically, <laughs> yeah. I was going to start by by um, asking you. I mean, the, you know, really, one of my focuses was, you know, what about this CRE bubble? I mean, you know, when's it going to pop? What are, you know, what kind of risks are associated with the small to medium term banks? And then, whoa, then this morning, Bloomberg hits me right between the eyes. And uh, the New York Community Bank was just downgraded to junk by Moody's. Wow. And then, of course, this explains why Yellen was on the podium yesterday um, trying to soothe the market. So what's your thoughts here, Peter? Well, like you said, definitely. The, I, sadly, I think the gift that keeps giving, you know, we uh, and we're, we're getting close to a year now, um, a year ago, when uh, we had that big issue with uh, with with these banks, Silicon Valley, and then there was that uh, contagion that spread, and ultimately that uh, culminated um, across uh, across the uh, the Atlantic with um, with Credit Suisse having to be, you know, a uh, forced marriage with um, with UBS, and uh, I was actually. <laughs> 
you know, by, by pure chance, I was actually over there at the time. And, and it was really, I mean, it really, really made waves. And, and if you look at exactly what went on and how all of that took place and, and how that, um, that acquisition by UBS took place and, and that, you know, at the 11th hour, um, the, the, the Swiss government went and, and uh, changed laws to, to make this happen. It's just incredible what, what goes on. And, and, and sadly, I think that, um, that, that is a, a one, that was, is one heck of a, of a, uh, of a warning, uh, signal, a warning bell that we had, uh, about 10 months or so ago. I, certainly do not think that has gone away not in any realistic way um these banks are overextended the 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 effect of this dramatic uh rate hiking cycle the the most aggressive in something like 40 or 50 years i believe has yet to play out and and people really should watch very carefully what uh, what takes place um in in this uh, in this area yeah and we're already seeing it this side of the of the pond i mean the, the, this is going to be. This is going to trigger a global issue. Oh, I, I think so. I think so. You know, <laughs> the U.S. is the leader in many ways, <laughs> and sadly, perhaps the leader with this as well. Uh, yeah, I think that uh, you know, obviously, central banks around the world have have acted similarly in terms of hiking rates, perhaps to somewhat of a lesser degree. Uh, but uh, the effect is, has uh, yet to, I think, play out completely. And I, I do think that uh, there's, there's a serious risk of, of contagious, contagion um, across the pond and, and around the world in terms of, uh, you know, a, a potential banking crisis. So, again, we have to really watch very carefully what happens here. Uh, that could be quite the trigger for, uh, for you know, uh, the entire uh, precious metals complex. Yeah, and again, uh, this is what this is all about. This is about education. This is about um, providing people information, um, and and really, what 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 are you you know the the ability to take responsibility for ourselves? Well, you need something. You need something to protect your wealth. And and if things are coming down the pike like this, then obviously that brings us nicely onto gold and silver. But you know, but Peter, you you are a real specialist, a real silver specialist. So I think we're gonna really reward our subscribers here. Um, and perhaps we would start, and because often we, you know, we take it for granted that, you know, everyone understands silver, but really, could you, could you actually start by running through silver's historical role as money and, and providing a little bit of background to, to what it is that, that really interests us in silver? I mean, I'll do my best. <laughs> so, so, uh, I don't know if your, if your viewers know, but I, I wrote a book I published, uh, yep. little, un, little under two years ago called The Great Silver Bowl. And the idea was to give readers an overview of silver and the opportunity and what I believe is a generational opportunity, uh, in silver in this precious metals bull market. And so what I decided to do, I, I, you know, I didn't want to get academic. I tried to keep it uh, as an easy read, uh, a comfortable read. I have a lot of chapters, but many of them are very short. In some cases, two, three pages, just because I thought I wanted to touch on a, on a given topic, give a, a quick overview of that topic and, and allow the reader to have at least understood, okay, this impacts silver. The silver market, how to how to uh, invest in it, and and they've they've gotten that that tidbit of information. And so, if we look at the history of silver, 
It was really discovered, we think, about 5,000 years ago and then actually was, was used on a daily basis as money in some form probably about 4,000 years ago. This would be in Babylonia, which is modern-day Iraq. Um, and uh, they had a, a pretty sophisticated uh, civilization and, um, and economy. They used silver and barley actually as, as a dual currency. And what they did was they, they, uh, they counted 180 grains of barley um, and, and set that with an equal weight in silver. And ultimately, uh, silver took over. Uh, barley, uh, you know, will will uh, will waste away over time, and and it's not uh, as as uh, as durable. Um, and eventually, uh, we know that um, I think it was about uh, 800 years or so uh, BC that uh, uh, in Greece they started to fashion the first coins, and that would have been in uh, a place called Ephesus, which is modern day Turkey. And these were Lydian coins and they were Electrum. So a mix of gold and silver, they were oval, oval shaped. That evolved eventually into the Athenian drachma, which was just silver. And then several hundred years later, um, you had Alexander the Great who, uh, with his exploits and uh, expeditions and so on, eventually introduced uh, the silver, uh, the drachma to, uh, to India. And, and, and this, that silver coin eventually became the first true international currency. And so I think, you know, the, the lesson from this, what's really important for people to realize is that if you look over this sort of five, four or 5,000 years of history, money history, we had silver as some form of money. It was used by every major empire for the last 4,000 years, almost continuously until just the last 50 years, which is incredible that you could have this 4,000 year history with silver as money and the last 50 years, it's been nowhere to be found in, in our money. It's, it, we're really living in an experiment to have uh, a fiat based worldwide, um, I guess, reserve, reserve currency, which is, to, uh, you know, um, I'm going to say unofficially the U.S. dollar, but certainly uh, I don't think anybody would argue with that, that it's the dominant currency. And so we've been living this experiment and um, uh, odds are, if you look at what prior um, uh, dominating currencies there were, going back uh, maybe five centuries, you had the Portuguese, you had the, the Dutch, you had the Spanish, the British, and, and uh, now the Americans. And uh, each time, each of those dominant currencies, world reserve currency, so to speak, lasted about 100 years and eventually withered away, you know, uh, lost their, their purchase, uh, purchasing uh, power and were replaced. So we are, if you, if you look at history and the, and the time that uh, the dollar has been dominant, we're, we're getting in on getting on that 100 year mark. So, um, you know, <laughs> people certainly do need to pay a lot of attention to precious metals. Um, I think that one of the, the big things people need to know about is something called recency bias and understand it and understand the risks of it. And recency bias is um, people being uh, led to believe that the near term future will be very much like the recent past. And as we've seen with these black swans, all kinds of, uh, of events that um, are un unpredicted, so to speak, 
uh, and change uh, our, our uh, the, the scenario and the narrative almost overnight, uh, that could be dangerous to have recency bias. So, I mean, I've gone on for a long time now, <laughs> Andy. Um, um, uh, you know, that's 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 my uh, you know sort of take on silver as money and and it's, and the evolution and what people need to uh, to take from that. Peter, that's 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 really excellent stuff, and 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 I think sometimes we we just don't look at the look at what it really is, how it how where it came from, and 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 its history. And I think a couple of things jumped right out of that at me it was. My God, you were talking about an equal weight of of barley to silver, and I mean we're talking about an equal weight. And then it just made me suddenly think, my goodness me, just where did ninety two ounces of silver to buy one ounce of gold come from? Which is what I saw this morning. Just tagging it, what a ludicrous situation! And I think um, I'm going to ask you to comment on that. But I'm just wondering, you, meant, you also mentioned, yeah, 50 years ago, it stopped being used as money. But that almost coinc- it's almost coincident then with the com- launch of the COMEX and the dilution of, well, certainly gold, and the dilution of paper uh, where you can se- cash settle um, contracts with, with no delivery. And I just wondered if, if maybe that's a reason that we got this bubble, this, this silo bubble of ludicrous bubble of a 92 ounces of silver when really what I always figured it was really more closer to eight to one. I, I don't know. What's your thoughts? I, I completely agree. I mean, even if you just look at the average of the last, say, 40 years or so, we should be much more somewhere around 60, which at today's price for gold. So, you know, let's use easy numbers. Gold at 2000, a 60 to one ratio would, would bring you to $33 silver. Um, you know, that's more than uh, a 30% gain at this point, which would be tremendous and would suddenly make silver producers very, very happy, very profitable, and, and would change the, the dynamic. And certainly, I think, uh, um, make people revisit uh, their recency biases, as I, as I just, uh, as I just mentioned. And I mean, obviously, silver at 23, 22, $23. Um, a lot of people are, are unhappy about it. It's not realistic. And yet it is already about 40% above where it was. If you look at, say, about two or three years prior to COVID, so say 2016, 2017 to 2020, silver in that uh, time frame averaged about $16, $17. We're at about 40% higher than that. And I think we're going to see these, these step changes. Now, the step changes, I think, come from um, from shocks, and in part, uh, you, COVID is a perfect example. Uh, COVID uh, created the shock that that brought us up to this newer, higher level in the silver price. Uh, it's investment demand clearly that uh, creates these spikes. Um, but I think that you know, once you get these spikes, although the price does tend to dial back. It typically does not dial back to its pre-spike levels, so it 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 brings it back. It comes back down. It goes back down to a new, perhaps lower level, but substantially higher than pre, uh, prior to the spike. Um, I think that um, you know uh, a falling ratio in the gold silver ratio is 
actually bullish for both metals. And we've, ten we've tended to see that over time. So silver would catch up to gold, but we would also see typically gold rise um, under a falling gold-silver uh, ratio, uh, which actually uh, is even more bullish for silver because if if the ratio average, let's say we looked again at 60, 20, uh, 60 to 1 would have us at 33, that would mean gold at 2,000. But uh, I've heard very conservative predictions this for this year for gold to reach somewhere around 2200 23 2400 that would just even at a 60 to 1 ratio that would have us um probably somewhere close to the high 30s in the uh in the silver price which is just tremendous from uh, from current levels yeah absolutely and and it's interesting i don't know um uh, if you if you saw i think it was only day before yesterday uh, the LBMA <clears throat> issued their 2024 uh, silver forecast. And I mean, the, 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 the variance was enormous. I mean, they were predicting massive price volatility. Um, they're talking about a $14 range. I mean, now uh, I'm, I'm going to try some color to, to this in a minute because they're talking about a range of 18 bucks to 32 bucks. Wow. And uh, when the trading range last year was six bucks, like pretty much now, but to me, this this disingenuous club of so-called professional traders um, are, are trying to spin that such a volatile price range would be normal. Right. But of course, because that is the game that's played inside what I call the casino, this casino bubble, where uh, it's not a physical market at all. Um, and I think what's interesting to me is what they haven't factored in, and 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 because. What we're doing a lot of work with, uh, we have a lot of insights into what's going on in China, in Russia, um, in uh, with, with gold price revaluation is almost certainly on the front burner. Um, in fact, we did an, uh, an episode last week uh, or two, two weeks ago where we illustrated um, how the extra treasury uh, official for the US had estimated $3.4 trillion of of uh, Chinese FX reserves were in the shadow banking system on top of the 3.4 trillion uh, that they officially disclose. And, and, and we, this is where we dig deep and, and work with our first year liquidity providers who are exposed to these markets, who've, who've simply said the bulk of this has and is being converted into physical gold. Um, and, and so therefore, um, it it doesn't it isn't rocket science to 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 really assume that we will see a gold price revaluation now whether it's done uh, because of geopolitical events whether it's done uh, for, because of uh, a weaponizer another weaponization of the dollar maybe maybe a change in political situations um, could be a problem in the South China Sea it could be anything but but it would there'll be a point where. Um, we think that um, certainly Russia and China are going to disclose um, the, the, where they're aggregated. Uh, Sixty thousand tons between the two uh, have um, are going to really back, uh, be able to back their currencies, and also to back uh, the Glasnevsk gold-backed currency, which we have evidence um, or information on is is due to be uh, launched. Um, so what I'm saying is, these silver guys, when it relates to silver. If there is a gold price revaluation, 
I mean, even Saxo Bank, without that, reckon $3,000. And, and, and believe me, they're the most pragmatic guys. I, 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 I like Ole Hansen. He's, he's very pragmatic. And he's, not, he's just talking about 3000 gold would be the floor. Um, you've mentioned 2400 Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, the, 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 in fact, the LBMA even talk about 2400 um, wow. in their gold <laughs> price. So it's, it's interesting. But if we do see a gold price revaluation, and gold is at $2,500, $3,000. Then where does that put silver? Because there's this, these, these so-called professional traders, which I don't trust at all, um, who, who live in this bubble, um, they're not gearing up for a gold price revaluation. And this to, to, could really break their hold on silver, in my view. I mean, I completely agree. Uh, and I think that one of the things that people uh, underestimate is what uh, a, a revaluation, a considerable revaluation in gold would do to silver. And here's just one aspect of it. You know, there's there's a lot of people who just sort of chase momentum. And, um, you know, we're seeing that with tech, we're seeing it with AI, with uh, uranium, for example. And... Uh, in in the case of some kind of a gold revaluation, re let's say twenty, let's say three thousand dollar gold, you have to imagine that naturally it's going to garner a lot of attention, and that attention will be uh, driven by FOMO, right? A lot of people will feel like they've missed out or they're worried about missing out, and what's going to happen if it goes to four thousand or five thousand, and people start thinking this way. So they look at gold, let's say at $3,000 and say, wow, one ounce of gold would set me back $3,000. What else is out there? What else can I do? What's an alternative? And silver is that natural alternative. It has been money longer than gold. It has to some degree helped to protect against inflation um, like gold has for centuries and millennia. And even at say 50 or even, or $60 an ounce silver, it's going to look a whole lot cheaper than gold will at $3,000. And I think that if, if people think that gold, um, can, you know, be driven higher through this, this, uh, this phenomenon, this FOMO phenomenon, just think what it can do to silver, which goes through these periods of consolidation and then absolutely explodes higher. And, and if you look at what it did, both times that it uh, that it spiked to fifty dollars, I mean, it was really uh, you had uh, I'm going to say more than a doubling in a matter of months, and so that really gives you some idea of of the kind of of, uh, of drive that uh, and and attraction that silver will have, and um, the potential is just uh, phenomenal, and you know silver has has done its share to to protect uh, against inflation. I, I remember doing some research on this um, a while back and and, think, and looking at, I don't remember the exact price uh, for silver. Uh, when it, If we look back, I said, let me, let me look at a century and look at the price of silver using the, the, the official inflation rate in the US. So whatever the price of silver was back in 1923, and then I used a, 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 the official rate of inflation, let's say that was somewhere around two and a half, three percent. And that brought the price of silver to around 11 or 1150 US currently. And so we're at more than double that. Now, of course, you can look at 
what silver's done. It spiked to $50 twice in its past and say, you know, silver has, has not kept up, but it has actually, if you consider at least, and, and I'm not saying that we should, but if you consider at least official inflation rates around two and a half, three percent silver's more than double that over a century. So it's done its fair share in terms of job uh, uh, of protecting against inflation. Um, and it's and it's a fantastic vehicle. Um, I think that volatility is actually something that people should take advantage of and not uh, let it scare them away from silver. It um, people need to understand it, understand how it behaves, and take advantage of that. And uh, and I and I certainly talk about that a lot in my book uh, in terms of how and when you would you know position in silver, position in silver stocks, um, sell partial positions to to uh, to lock in some of those gains um, really this uh, this is um, a great way to uh, to diversify a portfolio there's there's all sorts of research and, and stats I could I could be spewing that stuff out <laughs> all day long yeah and as we see these um, CTAs um, uh, really operating in 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 this which I Convinced it's just a bubble world, right? And and really, they're just chasing a dot on the screen. I mean, to them, no view into the physical market, no view into the wholesale markets. I mean, silver could to them be a hundred. It could be it could be a dollar. You know, it, it basically it means nothing to them. It's just a yeah. it's just a dot on a screen. And and so what's interesting is that there was a little Bloomberg piece about a month ago which came out, which said, oh yeah, seventy five percent. Um, CTAs control 75% of the, all the oil markets. And also referring to the same group of traders uh, controlling the gold market. Well, of course, they didn't mention silver, but of course, it's this same group of momentum traders you just talked about that really chase price around. Oh, when, but when oil went to, to zero, nobody wanted delivery. <laughs> right. <laughs> they didn't want it dumped into their swimming pool. Um, but but I mean, but essentially, th this is the kind of volatility you're talking about. So, so I think um, I would think that you would advise people when you just said take advantage of this volatility. So, if you are a stacker, a physical stacker, then really, what would your best strategy be? Well, I mean, at these kinds of prices that we have today, historically low, uh, historically undervalued. The gold-silver ratio is a great indication. The inflation-adjusted price is a great indication. The Dow to silver ratio, the average U.S. home price to silver ratio. I mean, I talk about all of these things in the book. And and what actually surprised me when I when I said, okay, let me come up with a long-term forecast for the silver price. And I said, I don't want to be sensational. I'm going to be what I think is fair, realistic. I'll look at what has happened in the past, where silver went. And, and, I, and to be fair, I'm talking about uh, a scenario where we have a full-blown, ultimately a full-blown mania phase and, and silver gets driven up dramatically. And I believe this would be perhaps towards the end of a, of a, a long-term secular bull market. And I looked at these same ratios that I mentioned, gold to silver, Dow to silver, U.S. average home price to silver ratio. And when these ratios bottomed, in um, 1980, uh, if we were to use and 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 I what I believe is a, is a realistically 
realistically ultimate peak, let's say, in the gold price, uh, conservative in my view, but say $5,000. In each of these cases, these, these different uh, indicators, I got a $300 silver price target. And um, I know that, again, as I say to some, that sounds sensational. I've heard some people um, who are who have a very long history in, in, uh, in the commodities markets, have managed billions of dollars, and I've heard targets that are even well above that. So, um, you know, it makes me feel <laughs> more comfortable and more realistic and, and, and not so, so uh, sensational about that forecast. Uh, I, I just think that it's realistic. If, if, you, if you look at those ratios, you look at the, the, the other side of the ratio, um, ultimately, in almost each case, you had somewhere around, say, the high 200s to the low $300 price range for, um, for a peak in the silver price. So, I, I mean, you know, I think that um, that is something that, uh, again, in a blow-off mania phase, we could ultimate look, ultimately look at um, in terms of a peak in, in silver. And, and I think those kind of numbers are, are very realistic. Um, and I think what, what's interesting is some very smart money. And this is, I'm talking about old money here too. And I'm talking about, I mean, and, and so we have a vaults in, um, uh, in Liechtenstein. And so in, in that vault there, I um, got talking to one of the investors there who is a silver. He is, he invests in silver. And um, I said to him, and, and looking at the vault, and literally pallets from floor to ceiling of it has to be done on the base floor because of the because silver has to be stored low down because of the weight, and literally had pallets and pallets of one ounce silver coins. And I said, "But you're crazy! Why don't we just get you some thousand ounce bars?" And he said, "But Andrew, you need to understand something." Um, he said, when things blow up and when things get, uh, when gold goes up, wh what am I going to do with a with an ounce of coin? It's, it, it's, it's going to be worth too much. Um, an ounce of silver is the perfect amount. It'll buy me, I will be able to use that for everyday purchases. And, and he's talking about if the worst happened. Right. And so that's, I thought that was good education for me. What, you know, that's smart money. And th this is going back years. So, uh, and of course, you know, this is going to also make silver very difficult to store because right now, if you want to insure silver in a in less than a grade 10 volt, um, you can do that now and get insurance. You get silver over 50 bucks an ounce. There's nobody going to touch insurance. On, on anything under a ten, a, ten, a grade ten volt, and so it's it changes what is Brinks going to do? What what are Loomis going to do? What are all these these people who store people who store silver are not going to be able to insure it? It is going to be so it, it's going to be so higher value. There's so many dynamics going on here. That's a great point. I mean, I know uh, I, uh, I know in two cases actually, um, I. I, I going to stay sort of keep them anonymous but in two cases of uh, of large companies that have uh, vaults in different uh, jurisdictions and uh 
I know in one case, they've actually tr built a new vault. It's triple the size of what it was uh, just uh, recently. And uh, in another case, they're building one of the world's absolute largest <laughs> precious metals vaults. And it's probably going to open this year. So, and, and despite that, I agree with you, um, it, you know, much higher silver prices are going to just throw all kinds of things out of whack. Um, this goes back to what I was saying before, recency bias. People are not thinking, not preparing, um, not thinking of outside the box and, and considering what kinds of things could happen and having these, running these stress tests in terms of their businesses and see what it, to see what it could mean and, and, and what kinds of, um, sort of backup plans they could have for, for these kinds of events. Um, you really have to wonder, <laughs> you know, how people manage these things. It, uh, it, it could, it can really uh, drive things haywire at, uh, at some point. Um, but I, you know, the, this, uh, person that you were talking about who has, uh, one ounce silver coins, obviously, you know, people will look at that and say, well, that makes no sense. He's paid so much over, uh, sort of the silver content in order to get these coins. But I would, I would bet you that he bought that long enough ago that the premiums were not uh, anywhere close to what they, they are today. I actually know someone uh, going back about 15 years who told me that he was buying um, Canadian one ounce um, silver maple leaves that were trading, and I kid you not, they were trading below the face value which is $5. He was buying them for $4 and change. And he was saying, Peter, I mean, it was an absolute no brainer. I could not lose. I could turn these in and automatically get more than I just paid for it officially. And obviously he didn't sell them. He knew where, where precious metals were going. This would have been in sort of the mid two thousands or so, but these kinds of opportunities come up very seldom. And uh, people really do need to pay attention. And you're not going to hear uh, about these opportunities in mainstream media. And, you know, I, again, one of the things I do talk about in the book is that when, you know, if you look for indicators as to when we may be peaking in, in some kind of a, uh, of a blow off phase in, in precious metals, for example, and I have, you know, other ideas about how that might play out. But in terms of indicators, uh, one of the best ones is, you know, seeing, for example, gold talked about nonstop in, in uh, daily financial media, silver being talked about daily in financial media. Right now, that's nowhere to be found. <laughs> and so when we do get into that kind of scenario, uh, then, yeah, started looking for, potentially looking for uh, an exit. Uh, and, and if nothing else, at least a partial exit. And I talk about that as well in the book. You know, you, it doesn't have to be an all or nothing kind of, uh, of, of decision. If you feel like we are uh, at or near that kind of a, of a peak, you can also, well, if you're, if you're uncertain, uh, you can also do this in, in a phased way. You can say to yourself, okay, well, uh, whatever my position is, uh, I'm going to sell a quarter of it. I'm going to sell a third of it. I'm going to give myself weeks or months to watch how things play out and be able and willing to react quickly if necessary and uh, sell another portion. So again, it doesn't have to be an all or nothing uh, kind of scenario, but uh, I know that in the, uh, around the 1980 uh, point when, when silver peaked, um, there were lineups that went on for blocks and blocks and blocks that for people 
of people who were looking to buy uh, to buy physical uh, silver, buying to buy physical gold. Uh, the, this was the FOMO effect. Um, today, uh, you, you might get that to some extent. I think that we're going to see what we're going to see that's going to be much more uh, a better indicator because especially sort of younger investors are going to find an easier way uh, is, is going to be probably the indicator of the ETF indicator. And when you see volumes build and build and build and start to double and triple and, and, and so on on a daily basis, that's when you really need to start paying attention. That's going to be sort of the fast money coming in and, and probably eventually leaving also just as quickly. Uh, those will be very good indicators for uh, an ultimate uh, peak. And, and But I do want to say one sort of last thing about that depending on how everything plays out. I would not assume that an ultimate peak, uh, especially if we're heading into some kind of a currency reset where it looks like, uh, despite, you know, what central planners, uh, wish central planners wishes are, um, that because I think they will resist in every possible way, you know, having, um, precious metals become uh, some sort of uh, money again or, or backing money because there's a lot of power that comes with fiat currencies. So that will be a last resort, but it doesn't mean it won't happen. If it happens, um, then I think that although we could, you know, we will likely make our way into some kind of a mania phase and then things will back down and correct again. I don't think corrections will be anywhere close to where we are today. And so people may not want to ultimately sell out completely. They may want to, at that point, continue to hold some sort of a, of a, uh, of a base position that uh, would go on perhaps for the rest of their lives at that point. Yeah, and I think, I think a couple of things pop out in my mind about that is that, yes, we've, we both know clients who, who many years ago bought silver, and, and we also know that people are buying it today. But when you think about it, I mean, I mean really, the most under commodity, undervalued commodity on the planet Earth, there's little doubt about that. Where, where, when we look at this in the rearview mirror, and I think this is what's going to happen, is people are going to move on from today. And this is, this is where we need to take action. Now, when you look at the silver price today, and you know that it's diluted and you know that it's not the real price. It really isn't rocket science to say, well, really, maybe I should just really continue to stack, add some. I mean, in the rearview mirror, I think what people are going to kick themselves when they see silver in the 50s, the 100s, 200s, 300s, because they had every opportunity. It would be a bit like when... Uh, when, when Bitcoin first launched and people said, oh, I wish I'd bought it then. This is real. This is here. It is available. It is available to anyone. Um, and, and there's not even a premium right now on the, um, on, on the, on the retail market. People are going to kick themselves if they don't take advantage and at least just average some in. I mean, there's nothing to lose. As you say, a little bit of volatility. If you, don't need to cash it in right away. I mean, this is wealth protection to me that it's right in your face. It, you don't have, if even people who can't afford to buy uh, ounces of gold can buy ounces of silver today in the low 20s. It's unbelievable to me. I completely agree. And I think that 
this is money for the masses. This is the kind of thing that, uh, as you say, um, almost no one uh, can say, you know, they, they can't afford uh, a little bit of silver. And, and anyone who's never held, uh, you know, a one ounce silver coin, some kind of a sovereign uh, minted coin, I think that it's a little bit magical. They should buy at least one, hold that in their hand, take their time, look at it, get a magnifying glass, look at the precision, look at, uh, you know, it's, it's a really, it's, it's almost a work of art uh, when you, when you see what these things are and, and, and the, uh, and, and the uh, tangibility of it. It's, it's really quite some, uh, really something special and it's, it's wealth preservation forever. It really is something that people need to, uh, to have in their, uh, have in their, in their uh, back pocket. Um, you know, we haven't even talked about the uh, industrial demand for silver, it, it, things that are going on in that space. I, I don't know if, if, if we've got the time to go into that a little sure, bit, sure. but I can. Yeah. Wonderful. So um, I, I'm just going to give a quick overview. I don't want to get too, uh, too detailed with this, but um, what we do know is that over the last, say, maybe 10 to 15 years, for the most part, silver was about 50% industrial use and about 50% um, I, I like to say investment uh, use. And in there, I include things like uh, physical investment demand, so bars and coins. I include silver jewelry and I include silverware. So for me, that's all physical investment. And then the other 50% is industrial. And that's things like um, electronics, switches. Uh, you find it everywhere. It's in, it's in medicine. Uh, you can, you'll, for example, in cornea replacements, they put uh, silver nanoparticles because silver is a natural biocide. It will actually kill bacteria and the bacteria never grow accustomed to it. So it, it always works. It's been known for, for centuries and millennia to work as a, as a biocide. So um, then you've got, uh, it's in 5G, uh, you know, uh, telecommunications. It, it's more and more present in electric vehicles. Uh, you find it in electronics. You find it in EV chargers, but the single biggest use in industrially for silver today, and I think if people want to follow really what's going on in the silver markets and things that are besides the investment side of it, is solar panels. That has just been a massive driver for silver demand. Um, just a couple of years ago, it was about 15% of the entire silver market every year. Last year, it already grew to 20% of the entire silver market. Um, industrial demand is about 630 million ounces. Uh, the Silver Institute thought that silver was going to represent about 160 million ounces out of about a billion ounces a year market. It ended up uh, underestimating so the Silver Institute said silver would be about 160 million ounces. Sorry, they said solar would be about 160 million ounces of the entire silver market last year. This was back in uh, April or so. And then in I had said by mid-year, I said that's too low. We're looking at 180 to 190 million ounces um, would go to solar. And when they revised their numbers back in November, they actually said Yes, it would be 190 million ounces. So I was um, much closer to the to the higher end uh, and proper uh, final number. But uh, solar is just dramatic. Um, new solar technology 
is actually requiring more silver per panel because those panels are now more efficient. The new technologies are requiring 50 to 150% more silver per panel. So I think that we're going to see silver uh, going to solar become uh, an even bigger part of the, the silver market uh, this year. And I like to say that uh, industrial demand for silver, which has grown from the last few years ago, uh, about 50% of the market, and now we know officially last year is above 60%, I think we're going to see that maintained and continue. So. Uh, Look, solar uh, is forecast by the International Energy Agency to surpass coal and natural gas as the largest um, way of generating power worldwide, generating electricity um, by 2027. That's just three years from now. So if solar becomes the single largest source of power, um, that's going to just require more silver. And as I say, these new technologies require even more silver per panel. So solar really is, industrial is the, is the, provides a rising floor under the silver price. And I think that is the investment demand as it comes in, um, you know, somewhat unpredictably from time to time, sporadically is what creates these spikes in the silver price. And that's where I think that is that opportunity for people to, as you said earlier, get in now. It's quiet. Things are stable. Um, downside, very minimal to, to nothing, in fact. And um, sit there, wait, take advantage of, uh, of that lack of volatility right now. The volatility is likely to be on the upside. I like to say, too, that, you know, we are much, much, I'm going to say much more likely to get negative supply shocks than we are to get positive supply shocks. You know, I study the whole mining side of things. My my day-to-day -day is my newsletter, Silver Stock Investor, where I talk about everything surrounding silver, how to invest in it. But for the most part, um, the the, uh, the silver stocks and the equities, the mining op uh, opportunities in this space. And Silver is very difficult to find. 75% um, of mined silver is actually a byproduct. It's not the main product of this, those silver miners. Most silver, 75% of mined silver comes as a byproduct of mining copper, gold, zinc, and lead. So only 25% of the mined silver is from what we call primary silver mines. If there is, I should say, when there is a recession and we have the, the, uh, the risk of slowing down base metals production, that could exacerbate silver supply. It's likely to exacerbate silver supply. So imagine, you know, silver supply is inelastic to its price, meaning you could have the opposite, um, uh, uh, reaction. If the silver price goes up, it could be under a scenario of recession or negative, a negative, you know, economic scenario where base metals production goes down, actual silver supply goes down under a higher silver uh, price. <laughs> so you could get that, that driving silver even higher because you have less supply coming to market. There are so many dynamics. Um, in this, in this, uh, in this market, it's just, it's amazing and it's fascinating. 
And I think that, um, you know, it can, people wonder what could happen. These are just the kinds of, uh, I, I, you know, a, a quick overview of the kinds of things that can happen that can really uh, ultimately drive uh, silver volatility. Supply shocks on the negative side, uh, in terms of silver supply, uh, you know, we've seen uh, Mexico, for example, the world's largest uh, silver mining nation uh, by far saw its production last year go down 12%. We saw Peru, which is the world's, arguably the world's second largest silver producer. It's It's been falling for the last seven years. Silver production has been coming down for seven years. It's now at levels that go back 20 years in Peru. Bank of America did a survey that looked at uh, the world's largest, 13 largest primary silver miners and asked them their opinion on terms of supply uh, coming to market, uh, mine supply. And they said, uh, the, the, the consensus was the peak in silver mine supply, which was in 2016, 900 million ounces, is not going to be revisited anytime soon. We're down to around 800, 830 million ounces. Um, that's well below the average, and yet we're at higher, much higher silver prices than, than back then. So silver is a difficult thing to find and to mine. Uh, we're not making it easier. It's not getting easier. All of this will uh, exacerbate uh, supply and, and just drive uh, prices ultimately higher. You raised some amazing points there. Absolutely. As you say, um, you know, the, sol the solar silver miners are not the, the primary producers of uh, supply of and and so this is interesting and also when you talked about all this um solar panel production um and then that and the increase in it and the increasing amount of silver that's required but also the amount of 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 extra uh, volume of 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 demand for it well really what's going to happen is is that each one of those production lines cannot afford to be without a thousand ounce bar and and so what will happen is, as what we currently see, is one of the reasons that we often see people not understanding the supply-demand side of things is, is, for example, one thing, no matter, even, even through COVID, when, when suddenly uh, supp mine supply contracted, one, one thing that was made sure was those, the guys controlling the paper price made sure that Samsung, Apple and all those those guys that were making stuff out of silver made sure they got their thousand ounce bars while no one else could get any. And and the reason is because the minute you tip that you you tip that balance over, what's the first thing you're going to do if you're threatening to shut down an entire um, production line? You're going to stock up. You're going to race out and everyone at the same time is going to buy thousand ounce bars well what do you think there's, there's going to be a price for them and yes they'll get them but what will that price be and you can't afford to shut down a line so it's interesting you're talking about a number of things coming together here uh, into a, a supply shortage and to me um, this is all the more reason and I think people hearing you Peter um, uh, really, basically, people should should come and join you. Um, and this is a wealth of information. They should come and join you um, on your platform, um, um, perhaps join your service. 
uh, and look at it and uh, your book. And I think, you know, this is something that you're not going to get this kind of information. You have to be a specialist to know this stuff. And uh, a lot of people just don't have the time. And I think so really, I would strongly suggest that people do come and visit you uh, and come and find out more about silver and and maybe make good decisions in their lives about uh, buying something that is already produced, that has no counterparty risk, i.e. Uh, the, the, the dollar in your hand has a counterparty risk. It's being debased every day. But the ounce of silver you buy or the kilo of silver you buy is has all the energy put in it already. It cannot be worth less than than the energy that was put into it. And and I mean, goodness me, I, everything I touch, even my desk here, it it's simply because of money debasement is going to cost more to make that desk, going to make more to make this computer, going to make more to make the to, to produce gold, silver, and every other commodity. So, um, you know, really, all I'm saying is, guys, listen. Yeah, I mean, uh, Andy, a couple of interesting points come to mind as as I'm as I'm listening to uh, what you've just said. Uh, and if we, if you don't mind, if I may go back to sort of the supply demand just quickly again, you know, the last three years have had a supply deficit in the silver market. And so if you add those deficits together, we're looking at 500 million ounces of silver. Now that's equal to an entire, that's half of an entire year's silver supply, which is about a billion ounces. So of course, people are asking themselves, how can you have these supply deficits and how can they go on like this, you know, multiple years subsequently and uh, consecutively. And also the Silver Institute is forecasting that we're going to have these supply deficits continue for several more years. They don't know how, how long they are expecting another deficit again this year, about a hundred, I think, and 70 million ounces or so. And so people are asking themselves, where is the silver coming from? And my view from looking at all of this, the best explanation is that, and here are some clues. Um, you have to almost sort of read between the lines. One is that uh, silver ETFs have seen for the first time in the, you know, the SLV has been around since 2006. For the first time, almost continuously for about two or three years in a row, we've seen the, the silver held by the ETF drop considerably. Same thing has happened to the gold ETFs for a different reason. But so that's one source. If you look at COMEX, if you look at London vaults, if you look at Shanghai, all of these futures exchanges have had more and more silver drained out of them. That's in my view, because there's, there's a lack of supply. And so if you are a big player, some kind of solar panel manufacturer or whatever it might be, a Samsung or, you know, anyone who uses a lot of silver, Apple, for example, um, you can go into the futures market or, or buy uh, some of these ETFs that you know are, are backed with silver. And if you have a long contract, you would know this quite well, Andy, I'm assuming you can uh, you can simply buy the long contract, wait for it to mature and stand for delivery and say, I want my bars, my thousand ounce bars. If you, ho if you hold an ETF and you, and, and there are minimums, but these minimums are, are nothing for these kinds of companies, say half a million dollars, a million dollars, 
or more, they can hold the units in these ETFs and just, you know, contact the, the issuer and say, okay, I have X amount of units in this ETF. You're supposed to have the silver to back it. I want delivery. I'm entitled to physical delivery. So that's why I believe in part we've seen these ETFs see their physical silver being drained over the last few years to the tune, at least in the exchanges of about 40% from their peaks of about three or four years ago, and in some cases more. So I believe that has fed this, uh, this deficit. And again, nobody knows for sure how much there may be of what I, these are what I call secondary silver supplies. Nobody knows for sure how much. Uh, but we know, according to the Silver Institute, the last three years is already half a billion ounces of silver that has been fed this way. How much longer can this go on? A year, a couple of years? Uh, I don't think much beyond that. But when you get, and I think I'm referring to what you were saying before, you know, during COVID, these large manufacturers, they got their silver. They're able to continue uh, business as usual. When you get someone like that, that for some reason, cannot get the silver that they need, they're going to scream. <laughs> yeah. And the market will hear them and things, all bets will be off. And uh, that will be quite the, the, the trigger point for, uh, you know, an upward spike in silver. Um, and that's not even considering what can happen, you know, under, uh, under recession, under a spike in the gold price where silver will typically follow. There are all kinds of uh, potential triggers out there. Again, people should uh, be aware of their recency bias. Uh, it's, it, uh, it could do you in. <laughs> it really could. One final thought, one final thought. Um, <clears throat> the current U.S. sound money movement. Um, <clears throat> now, that is really making gold and silver money again. So what's your thoughts on that? I think, uh, you know, kudos to them. They're doing something that uh, is is very uh, laudable. Uh, they are going, um, you know, state by state in the U.S. and and lobbying to have taxes removed from the the purchase of of typically small amounts of physical gold and silver, and their arguments are fantastic. People are not buying this to typically not buying this to trade. They're buying this to invest. They're buying this to protect their purchasing power. They're typically buying small amounts. Um, these are not so much considered investments as they are considered wealth preservation. Yes. And yes. you could, you know, it's, it's almost like saying, well, I, I have the choice. I'm going to keep this dollar or I'm going to instead use this dollar to buy another form of money, uh, gold or silver coins, for example. The dollar isn't itself taxed if you, unless you look at inflation. So if you ignore inflation officially, it's not taxed. Why should gold or silver be taxed? It doesn't make sense. And then you ha also have issues between states where if in one state it's taxed uh, and in a neighboring state it's not taxed, then, you know, these, these shows or these uh, conferences where, they, where dealers, bullion dealers, for example, are selling uh, physical gold and silver will choose to do their, their, um, their conferences in the states where it's not taxed because obviously people can easily drive across the border, go to the state where it's not taxed, make the purchase and bring it home. So, uh, you know, it's, it's unfair. 
and um, and it's just it's just as I say, it's a laudable movement. They're making fantastic progress. Uh, I think that um, it's it's a genuine, uh, fair way to approach this. And uh, there's been some interesting, and I talk about this also in the book, there's been some interesting uh, developments in Idaho, for example, where the state legislator has looked at removing, not only removing uh, taxes on uh, silver and gold in their case, but uh, to allow the treasury in the US, in, sorry, in Idaho, to be themselves allowed to invest in physical gold and silver. And, and they've got just the most logical uh, arguments saying, you know, you're, our laws are telling us that we can only invest in safe things like treasuries or, or uh, you know, maybe state bonds or, um, or, or federal bonds, which clearly have lost lots of value uh, because of inflation. And if you look at what happened in bonds in 2002, I mean, it was just devastation in, in many investment portfolios because the safe investment was no longer safe. Bonds, um, you know, were, were completely trashed uh, because of uh, rapidly rising uh, inflation. So, uh, th and they're making uh, some, some, some good uh, uh, headway with that as well to allow the, the, the treasury, the state treasury to buy physical gold and silver to, as, as a hedge um, and, and as inflation protection, it's only fair for, uh, for, for citizens and, uh, and people living in that state. Again, fantastic things, fantastic development. Um, I'm really, uh, I'm really, uh, impressed by the work. It's the Sound Money uh, Defense League that's, that's, uh, spearheading all of this work. They're doing great, uh, great work and, uh, hats off to them. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's true fairness in, in investing and in, uh, in, in wealth protection. Good for them. Uh, I hope that they make a lot more inroads. Peter, we have the wind at our backs. I, I, everything we've talked about here today, um, I hope people take note um, because these are the action points where someone has to make a, de a decision. We have to make decisions every single day. Um, and, it's, and money is an important part of, of, what, of the decisions we make. Uh, so here's some information, guys. Um, I would honestly suggest dropping in on Peter's website, um, finding out what he's got going. Uh, clearly a specialist, uh, illuminating discussion today. Peter, thank you so much for joining us. I really did appreciate uh, your, your insightful look at uh, all of the things related to silver. Well, Andy, thank you so much for the uh, opportunity to, to speak to your viewers. And to give my insights, um, it's obviously what I love to do and what I do day in, day out, <laughs> all day long. And um, I hope that, uh, you know, my passion for, for silver comes through. And uh, I do believe it's a, it's a generational opportunity. Um, the book really is the best way to get a, an overview of that opportunity. And I like to say that... The book is the intro to the world of silver, and then my newsletter, Silver Stock Investor, really is uh, the real-time uh, sort of uh, way to follow the the events and what's going on in um, in the silver space because that's something that I publish uh, twice a month, and then uh, as well additional alerts when uh, when warranted. So um, that's that's what I do.
Well, thank you, Peter. And and um, as I say, um, do I do really invite people to uh, uh, or, or request honestly that people should who who are exposed to uh, our world, the gold and silver world, uh, should drop in on you. But thank you so much. Thank you again. All right. Thank you, Andrew McGuire and Peter Croth, for another fascinating discussion. And uh, what I wanted to say is make sure, as Andy always says, you know, buy physical, make sure it's backed one to one and understand the difference between what Andy calls the casino paper, gold and silver markets and the actual physical gold and silver markets. They're not the same. Don't be fooled. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That's all we have for you on another fascinating episode of Live from the Vault. Uh, please help keep spreading the word about this channel by hitting that like button there if you haven't already done it. Uh, share this information. It really helps the channel. And hit the subscribe button if you're not already subscribed to Live from the Vault. And, you know, if you click on the bell right there, we will notify you in real time as each episode goes live. And with that, we will see you right here on Live from the Vault next time. Bye for now.